Oh, Kristen. Oh, David. Season two. We made it. We did it. They <laughs> said it couldn't be done, and we proved them wrong. Who said? Them. Oh. They. That was rude. It was. That's why we proved them wrong. Oh. Thumb in the eye to those bastards. <laughs> well, we did. We are in season two, episode one. Uh-huh. Little Green Men. There were no leprechauns in this episode. It is not a good title. I don't think there were green anything besides plants. No. There weren't any green men in this episode. What a misleading title. Were there any little men in this episode? Uh, Mulder when he was a child. <laughs> because he was the man of the house? Yes, he was a little man. Since all, all of the other mans were outside? Yep. <laughs> little Mulder man. Little man Mulder. Minuscule Mulder man. Why do you think they named him Fox when they named his sister Samantha? Uh, they were big fans of Samantha Fox. So they started with Fox first? <laughs> yep. Interesting. Can't name the boy Samantha. Why not? Just Sam for short. Who knows? <laughs> I would have fewer questions if it was Fox and something else. Hound. <laughs> yes. I'd have no questions if they, named, Hound. if they named their children the Fox and the Hound. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense to me. But because she has such a... Well, maybe it's family names. Maybe there's another fox. Maybe he's Fox Jr. Could be. Are there are there actual real people named Fox? Maybe that's why they were allowed, because they did all of the legal things to find out different names, and they were like, the only available combo with Mulder is Fox. Wow. That would be funny. <laughs> all of these other ones are too close to real people. Can't do it. Legal says no. <laughs> <laughs> We wouldn't be able to put the disclaimer at the end all. <laughs> yep. <laughs> any any representation is pure coincidence or whatever that disclaimer at the end is. Your face. <sighs> Your brain went blank and you were like, oh no! <laughs> I didn't. Uh, that's the second time that happened to me today. Oh, what was the first time? Talking to Riley about something. <laughs> you just went blank. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's going to make for a great episode, I guess. Yeah. Hope it happens again later. It'll be great. You have notes this time, so hopefully your notes will help fill in some of those blanks. Fingers crossed. Yep. Ready to get into it? Let's do it. Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. I'm Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley. And this is The Cast Files. I am a nerd who somehow never saw The X-Files. And I watched it when it originally aired. The Cast Files is a podcast where we watch and review every episode of The X-Files, spoiler-free. Today we are talking about Season 2, baby! <laughs> episode 1, Little Green Men. It originally aired... One month into my senior year of high school. Wow. September 16th, 1994. It was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong, directed by David Nutter, his seventh episode. Oh, okay. All right, IMDb gives us with the X-Files shut down, because remember the X-Files shut down? I remember that. 
You remember that from two weeks ago when we watched it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Mulder travels to Puerto Rico on a trip, nope, on a tip from his mentor in the Senate, who we never knew of before. Yeah, we did. Did we? He mentions having friends in the Senate, like, several times. I thought he was lying. You got mad at me because I kept saying it was Strom Thurmond. <laughs> Baseball, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A tip from his mentor in the Senate to uncover the reason behind the sudden reactivation of a remote, long-abandoned, SETI-like communication station. Reasonable. Yeah, it's fine. So... I went short on the cast, but we'll get into it. We have Mike Gonzalez as Jorge Concepcion. Ah, shout out to Jorge. You may know him as the second priest in Desperate Housewives. <laughs> I, I don't. Oh, okay. Well, how about Raymond J. Berry? He is <laughs> Senator Richard Matheson here. You might know him from Desolation, where he played Father Bill. <laughs> That's not where I know him from. <laughs> What about um, Leslie Carlson as Dr. Troisky? Troisky. He was the minister in Deadly Harvest. He was also Dr. Spitz in Born Again. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Dr. Spitz. We just watched Born Again a few weeks, a month ago. Yeah, which one was Dr. Spitz? The guy who looked like Dr. Troisky. Okay, all right. Is this our first guy who's played two different roles in the X-Files? So far. We have had characters who will show up as other characters. Okay. But this is the first one that I've pointed out because we've actually made it to his next episode. Nice. Okay. And then we have Vanessa Morley as Samantha. She is the voice of Higali Yula Atha in Mobile Suit Gundam Seed Destiny. The English version. Okay, well, it was very brave of you to try that name. Thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> proud of you. I can't tell you if you did a good job or not. You know what? I'm trying my best. <laughs> I could tell. <laughs> you ready to get into it? Yeah. So, we start off in scene one. It is a voiceover. We have space. We have space. Did you look up and see if Neil deGrasse Tyson said this is a good Good, if this is good space? Nope. No, me neither. I don't really but I care. Just, I just wrote down a note saying, I wonder if this is good space. I wonder what Neil Tyson has to say about this. You know, I never thought about it. I did. Okay. He has lots of opinions on what's good space. I didn't care to know his opinions <laughs> on this specific episode or any of the other ones that you brought up mentioning him. <laughs> okay. Obviously, you haven't either since you haven't actually looked it up <laughs> any of these times. <laughs> If it becomes relevant, I will look up his opinion on something. Okay. So Re far? <laughs> really, the only thing that his opinion is worth a lot is whether or not the stars are accurate for the time and place. Right. And that's not really useful information. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't really matter. No, not, not for our needs. Other I'm sure it matters for somebody. Other than that, he's just a killjoy on Twitter. I know. That's why you keep bringing him up. Because I like bringing up killjoys. You like being a killjoy? Ha. Aw. Oh, Those grumble. words hurt. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Well, Mulder is talking over space. I don't know if the stars are in the right places. I didn't check. Okay. I don't think they're real stars, so it didn't really matter. <laughs> Mulder, voiceover. We wanted to believe. We wanted to call out. He just starts super melodramatic. Yeah. Just, we're in, we're emo Mulder it's right nice. out the gate. I love it. On August 20th, and September 5th, 1977, 
two spacecraft were launched from the Kennedy Space Flight Center, Florida. I've been there. Me too. I touched a moon rock there. Yeah. Now imagine how many germs are on that moon rock. We've all contaminated it. Oh, you couldn't do that now. Mm -mm. Everybody would die. Yep. From the moon disease. Yep. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> they were called Voyager. Each one carries a message. Kurt Weldum on message. So this is the guy who's on the message. Waldheim. It does say Waldheim. <laughs> look, I've already tried a really hard name. Okay. That one doesn't look very hard. <laughs> no, it's I not. It's, you tried a hard name so you can whiff on an easy one? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I like that. It's a good scorecard. <laughs> Thanks. He says, I send greetings on behalf of the people of our planet. No, do an impression. I don't remember how he said it. He sounds like, uh, wow, what's do Werner Herzog. <laughs> You'd, oh, you do it then. Go ahead. So, I send greetings on behalf of the people of our planet. We step out of our solar system into the universe, seeking only peace. And then Mulder interrupts him because he's an interrupter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a gold-plated record depicting images, music, and sounds of our planet, arranged so it may be understood if ever intercepted by a technologically mature extraterrestrial civilization. You know, records. Yes. <laughs> Thirteen years after its launch, Voyager 1 passed the orbital plane of Neptune and essentially left our solar system. Within that time, there were no further messages sent, nor are any planned. We wanted to listen. Yes. On October 12th, 1992, NASA initiated a high-resolution microwave survey. So what that means is that they went into each, each person's home and went up to their microwave and said, Hello, microwave. <laughs> <laughs> and then asked them a series of questions, and the microwave had to say one beep for one, two beeps for two, three uh -huh. beeps for three. Okay. I thought that they were taking high-resolution pictures of everybody's microwave. <laughs> and then we go into scene two, which is at the Arecibo Ionospheric Observatory in Arecibo, Puerto Rico. Mulder is still doing the voiceover. He says, A decade-long search by radio telescope, scanning 10 million frequencies for any transmission by extraterrestrial intelligence. Less than one year later, first-term Nevada Senator Richard Bryan successfully championed an amendment which terminated the project. I wanted to believe, but the tools have been taken away. The X-Files have been shut down. They closed our eyes. Our voices have been silenced. <laughs> our ears now deaf to the realms of extreme possibilities. And then a computer spits out a Scantron on that old printer paper that's connected in spools. Dot matrix. That's what it was. <laughs> I said, remember that? And then an old film reel? Because I couldn't remember the audio tape thing. Yeah, it's audio tape. The audio tape film reel? <laughs> <laughs> that's just how audios used to be. I don't know. I'm not old enough. Clicks on and starts playing the Brandenburg Concerto. Concerto? Concerto. 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 Number two. Yeah, don't say number three. Don't say number three, because what is this? Double Jeopardy? It isn't. It was the original, in the original recordings we sent to space. We also sent a little boy saying something like, Hey, do you know Popeye? I don't remember what he said. <laughs> <laughs> I just... <laughs> it was probably, do you know Popeye? If there's anything that's universal, it's Popeye. So we got that right, too. <laughs> Doing great. Uh, yeah. All right. So 
So for this opening, the cold open, uh, you were talking about, oh, technology, a, a record. Yeah. I think it actually works well because it's, that's really, it's ancient technology. And it should be like one of the first uses of audio in any technological society. I agree. But he said how technologically advanced it was to send records. No, he said if it reaches a technologically advanced society. Oh, my reading comprehension is zero. <laughs> so it's just anybody should be able to figure it out. Oh, this is what that is, because we used to use that millions of years ago or whatever. But they don't mention the problem with uh, radio surveillance. And the problem with radio surveillance is humans have been around in this form, this animal for like between a quarter million and half a million years. Radio has been useful for like a hundred and something years of it. And really now we could get rid of it if we wanted to. It is a technologically, it's obsolete. So Tell that to the morning shock jocks, baby. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the reason it hangs around is because advertisers and people are making money on it. But it is an obsolete technology. So any advanced society is definitely not still using radio, <laughs> radio right. technology. So the... The chances that our societies have overlapped in this technology means that, A, they're not technologically advanced. They're in the same place we are, and we'll just never meet. I think we'll never meet anyway. Oh, I also completely agree with that. It's probably better for everybody. Yeah, definitely better for... Whoever they are. Them, if they're not technologically advanced, and us, if they are. I agree. But this would have been a great intro to the pilot. But then the X-Files would have been closed. True, but maybe we're starting with the X-Files. Oh. Because just it would have been a great intro f for the first episode. I agree. It was it was a good intro. <laughs> Our voices have been silenced. I mean, you wouldn't you'd have to rewrite some of the monologue, but it's still this would have been a good intro for the for the first episode. How about the next scene at Long Street Motel in Washington D.C.? We are listening to Wiretap Number Five A Two One One Four Seven. This is Mulder listening to two men talk about a stripper named Tuesday who dances to an Offspring song. Yeah, I wrote down seeds because he's eating sunflower seeds. Yep. Offspring because they talk about Offspring and tipping $40. Yep. <laughs> because, because he ended up tipping $40 for not even a dance, for just her dancing on the stage. And good for him. You know what? And then he's... His friend is weirdly into him telling him it, all of the details. Oh, especially at the very end scene. Keep going, keep going, keep going, <laughs> yeah. keep going. It's... Ugh. So the way that we see this opening is we don't... We aren't told it's Mulder, except we are told it's Mulder because we've already watched all of season one and we know Mulder likes sunflower seeds and porn. So a dude with a ton of sunflower seeds being just the most disgusting. <laughs> He's just throwing all of the shells on, on the his board. own feet. <laughs> He's just burying himself in spit-covered <laughs> sunflower seed shells. <laughs> I guess growing up on softball diamonds made me numb to the sunflower seeds being spit everywhere. Inside? Yeah, I, I mean, it's not great, but... I didn't really see it as that huge of a deal. All of the saliva on everything. Just Mulder's <laughs> office is sticky with his own saliva. <laughs> it's better than being somebody else's. 
<laughs> but where is he? Oh, he's in the Longstreet Motel, I just said. Because later we see him at another desk, and if he had been listening to the surveillance at the other desk... <laughs> I, You know what? This is just who Mulder is now. Yeah. His other desk is also covered in sunflower seeds, I've decided. Oh, okay. And I do say, how do we know it's Mulder, since we aren't seeing any of the... We aren't seeing him first. They're trying to... I don't suggest it might be someone else, because... In a little bit, they do another thing, and I'm like, no, it's definitely David Duchovny. I didn't pick up on the misdirect at all. No, okay. Well, it's just being like, well, one, he's doing surveillance, and we're like, Mulder doesn't do work. And then two... (laughs) (laughs) And then two, it doesn't show his face right away. It does, like, scan everything else until we finally see him. But that's what he's doing. He's doing surveillance. At the FBI Academy a little bit later, that is in Quantico, Virginia, Scully is having a great time as well. She's explaining how to open a cranium with a horizontal division. There's a poop-colored magic marker that's used that... It is! Look at your face. It is. The poop-colored magic marker they used would be embarrassing if this person wasn't already dead. (laughs) (laughs) And my first note of this scene is... Oh my god, are we seriously ruining Scully right out of the gate? She's teaching med students and zones out. When a student asks if something's wrong, (laughs) I'm staring at the sheet covering this person because as Scully stops and is staring off into space, I'm expecting him to breathe. Like, there's supposed, something is supposed to happen. When they showed the top of his head and I was expecting the top of his head to look familiar to me (laughs) so we were both honed in on this corpse (laughs) i expected something something but no she waxes poetic about well just listen what this man imagined his dreams who he loved saw heard remembered what he feared somehow it's all locked inside this small mass of tissue and fluid. <laughs> the same med student asks if she's okay because she sounds kind of spooky. She sounds like she's not paying attention to what she's doing. Right. She sounds like she maybe needs to take a mental health day. Could be. I am pro Scully taking a mental health day. Happens to all of us. We all inadvertently wax poetic while we're supposed to be teaching about autopsies yes i do hate when that happens it's happened to me like nine times this year wow and you don't even do autopsies (laughs) which just makes it even weirder that i'm teaching other people how to do it yeah it's also kind of why i zone out i can see that it does make sense do you have anything specific about this groan-worthy scene? Not really. All right. So later we're at the FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. Scully goes to see Mulder or is just there. I'm assuming she's going to see him. But either way, she's at the FBI headquarters. She was leaving the note on his desk. I couldn't tell if that... Was that before or after? It oh, it must have been... Same time. Yeah. That, she must have just... Okay. Because she approaches him, she half smiles and says, Good afternoon, Agent Mulder. And Mulder ignores her he doesn't even see her because he's a thousand miles away yeah he's depressed he's very depressed (laughs) he's yeah it's kind of sad it really is he's also super paranoid yeah but although in this i'd say he has right to be paranoid you know what yeah i would say in regular reality he's super (laughs) paranoid in x-files reality 
Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they aren't out to get you. Yeah. Yeah. Defeated, Scully walks away because, obviously, he doesn't even acknowledge her existence. He continues into a crowded room. It's not the criminal room from the last season. It's a different area of the cop house geography. (laughs) It's FBI house. It's FBI house geography? I guess it is. It's super cop house. Yes. He sits down while a grown woman walks around in the background. She appears to be wearing a Girl Scouts uniform minus the vest and badges. Maybe she's just a really bad Girl Scout. (laughs) I missed her entirely. She's the only thing I looked at until he did anything. (laughs) That's hilarious. And and then I noticed that there is a picture frame lying on his desk lying on its belly. Because I didn't know how to say it was lying face down. It's lying on its belly. belly. When he lifts it, there's a blank post-it covering a picture of a little girl. He removes the post-it, and we get our first glimpse of Samantha. Uh, and it's a brand new actor playing Samantha. Yep. I know. I clocked that immediately, because I was like, well, I guess we're going to see a lot of Samantha this season. <laughs> because we couldn't use the other girl. So we don't know what that means, but whatever. It's obviously weird. We cut to Watergate Hotel and Office Complex. Scully paces alone in a dark parking garage. You think she's waiting for tombs? she has to be that's the only person that pops up unexpectedly in parking garages that or a raccoon or or Mulder because he's got his shows aren't on that night that's right because he wants to dance around yeah said oh she's waiting for Mulder he makes a dumb parking is expensive in DC am I right joke and Scully says he looked like deep throat as he was walking in the dark was such a weird comment in case you were wondering he didn't not at all like David Duchovny I had to watch the second time to make sure, like, they didn't use the actor that was Deep Throat to do the walk-in at first and then switch it over, and they didn't. No! <laughs> it was just to come to the whole time. I watched, when I was watching it, and I'm like, okay, there's, so she's here to meet Mulder. Got it. That makes sense. And he's walking through the dark, and then she goes, oh, you looked like him. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, why are you talking like this? You hated Deep Throat. Yeah, it's weird. It's super weird. They've just done her dirty again in this episode. Yeah. I'm going to have to start tabulating. Done her dirty or did her good? (laughs) (laughs) And so far, nothing good has happened as far as Scully's character goes. So apparently turning the photo of Samantha down was code for I want to talk in an expensive parking garage. So Mulder cuts the small talk and asks her what she's found. He's just like... $4 $4 an hour. Get to the point, lady. <laughs> the FBI doesn't pay me enough. But she says nothing. She's found nothing. But we discover that Mulder is super paranoid, and Scully doesn't believe that they're being watched or followed because who would care about them anymore anyway? She says, why do you think they even care about us still? I have an answer for that, Scully. Okay, because you're still alive. Yeah. They have clearly just kill anybody that they're done with. That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> they have not killed... Mulder and Scully, there has to be a reason for it, or it's just a huge plot hole. Either they're still interested in them for a reason that we don't know yet, or giant plot hole. Hmm. I wonder if we'll ever find out. (laughs) If we don't find out, that means it's a plot hole. Fingers crossed. I hope they do something with it. Scully did take precautions to see him because she misses Mulder and his paranoia. I said something about I wish how she I wish she was going to be right I guess about not needing to take precautions but in the grand scheme of the X Files we know Mulder will be correct on this one. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, her smarts versus his gut. Yeah. Yeah. They talk for a while and it becomes clear that Mulder is depressed. 
which we already knew, but at least they didn't have him kick a dog or something. <laughs> He's beginning to lose faith in himself and his belief that his sister was abducted. And Scully's a good friend in this scene. Not bad. Yeah. He was so down on it and questioning his belief in aliens and his belief in the abduction and everything. I sort of was wondering if he was faking it. Right? I was wondering where this was going. Yeah, and it didn't. That's not where it was going, no. but I was wondering. And she has seen proof. Right. So she could have said, no, there is proof. And he talks about he should have something to hold in his hands. And I'm like, look at like a baby alien fetus. <laughs> right? Baby alien? <laughs> Little baby alien. Yep. <laughs> Little baby alien? <laughs> yep. Scully had that in her hand. That's right. Mulder didn't, though. He never saw it. Nope, never did. Poor guy. He got stung by all those bees. Unfortunate. So in this discussion that Mulder is talking about how he doesn't trust anything anymore, he's lost his faith in everything, he mentions George Hale in the Palomar Observatory. So I wanted to do a little bit about George Hale, because one of the things that they mention is that George Hale got his idea for asking Rockefeller for money for the satellite or dish, whatever, from an elf who visited him. And I was like, I have a feeling this is the X-Files uh-huh. doing something dirty. Oh, really? To someone who could potentially have had other problems. Okay. Or other struggles. So George Ellery Hale, born June 29th, 1868, died February 21st, 1938, which just let's stop there. All of the stuff I'm going to say that he did is amazing. And in that time frame, I can't imagine how anybody got anything done. (laughs) He was born rich, probably. Probably. He was an American solar astronomer, best known for his discovery of magnetic fields in sunspots, and as the leader or key figure in the planning or construction of several world-leading telescopes, namely the 40-inch refracting telescope at Yerkes Observatory, the 60-inch Hale Reflecting Telescope at Mount Wilson Observatory, the 100-inch Hooker Reflecting Telescope at Mount Wilson, and the 200-inch Hale Reflecting Telescope at Palomar Observatory. He also played a key role in the foundation of the International Union for Cooperation in Solar Research and the National Research Council and in developing the California Institute of Technology into a leading research university. So... Lots of legacy there. Hale suffered from neurological and psychological problems, including insomnia, frequent headaches, and depression. The often repeated myth of schizophrenia, alleging he claimed to have regular visits from an elf who acted as his advisor, arose from a misunderstanding by one of his biographers. Oh, nice. Yeah. He used to take time off to spend a few months at a sanatorium in Maine. These problems forced him to resign as director of Mount Wilson, and he died at the Las Encinitas Sanitarium in Pasadena in 1838. Hale's vision for large telescopes and the Palomar Observatory, he had this vision to build the world's largest telescope, and he did it four times. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty impressive. So, that's a little bit about Hale. Since they didn't do him justice, I figured I would. Good job. Next, we do a flashback. Mulder is, oh, he looks at the sign that says Watergate, and then we flash back. By a wild coincidence, he was watching a news report about Watergate the night Samantha was abducted. That's right. November 27th, 1973, Chilmark, Mass., 
8.53 p.m. <laughs> I wrote Mulder and Scully. Mulder and Samantha play Stratego and argue over the TV. Mulder wants to watch The Magician, which is an okay way to get magic into this episode. <laughs> that one's acceptable. Yes. Oh, in case you're wondering, this is when his sister gets abducted. She floats out the window on a stream of light while Mulder gets the family gun but doesn't do anything with it. I utterly hated this kid that got to play young Mulder. Mm -hmm. And this is a complete retcon of the abduction story. The abduction story in season one, they're in bed. Right. And this is just a complete retcon of that story. I don't know if it makes it worse or makes it better or what, but it does explain why Mulder is quick to just point his gun at everything now. Because he started doing it. <laughs> well, because he didn't point the gun at anything the night his sister was abducted. So now he points his gun right at everybody's face. Later in the episode, you can see him trying to unload on an empty space. Yeah. <laughs> He's quick to pull the gun now because he didn't pull the gun when it mattered. Ah. Yeah. I see. Okay. It's like the opposite of Sergeant Owl Pal in Die Hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this scene in this episode is the same or very similar to the one in the book, Agents of Chaos. Uh-huh. And they talk about the magician in, in the book also. <sighs> Which reminds me of that show that you make me watch all of the episodes of while you fell asleep on the couch. That magician show. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, eventually I changed it to something I wanted to watch because you kept falling asleep. It was some some magic show. They were showing us how magic worked. Oh, that was just something to watch to kill the time. The, uh, yeah, the I don't remember what it was called. Behind the scenes of magic. The magician show. The, the masked magician who shows you how all the tricks are done. Yeah. I did like watching their outfits, though. <laughs> so when we flash back to the present, we are in Mulder's apartment, and Mulder is just super sweaty. Ah, uh, he wakes up, not in bed. Like normal. Yep. But the TV's not on. That's true. Now he's got a fish tank. That's why he's so sweaty. He didn't have the TV to soothe him while he was asleep. I see. He gets up and closes the blinds, and a man just opens his door. <laughs> it's real weird, like. It's real weird. And then telekinetically speaks to Mulder. <laughs> it's true. His lips do not move. <laughs> and Mulder's reaction to someone just coming into his house in the middle of the night... Doesn't pull his gun again. No, and he was super chill about it. He just turned around like, oh, you. <laughs> must have happened a lot. It must have because it happens three more times in this episode. <laughs> just people walking into Mulder's apartment. So the man doesn't say but says, we're going to the hill. <laughs> Said it in his mind. Yeah. We are at the office of Senator Richard Matheson. The man? We are at the office of Raymond J. Barry. Yes. When he was turned around and he talked by the voice, I was like, oh my god. This dude is awesome. He is in a ton of stuff. You gave him what, like, I forget what credit you gave him at the beginning. But he was Arlo Givens in Justified. He's the captain in Falling Down. He's in a bunch of other stuff I can't remember right off the top of my head. Oh yeah, no, I gave him, I had a theme going. I yeah. had to find all of the people who had played religious people. So that was the theme that I found. Oh, I didn't get, you know, I didn't put together that they were all religious people. We need to do a thing where I try to think of what your theme is. Okay. All right, starting next episode. All right, Samantha wasn't. Okay. I couldn't find one for her, so she had the name that I couldn't pronounce, but she did the voiceover because I thought that would be funny to say you might recognize her. <laughs> <laughs> From this thing that she's done for like 15 years. Yeah. It was wild. So, Raymond J. Berry, his voice is so good. 
magnificent. And he gives this monologue that I was riveted by. Just oh. be, probably just because of his voice, because the information isn't really that great. But. No. I was looking at his clothes. So the man and Mulder walk into the senator's office. Matheson is facing away toward his bookshelves. Listening to the Brandenburg Concerto, he quizzes Mulder about it and explains what we know from the opening scene. Although Matheson doesn't seem to understand that the music will continue to travel, even if it's intercepted. <laughs> it won't. It's all snatched up. said, I don't think senators are required to understand science, though, which is a shame. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Especially the ones that are in those committees. Yeah. Matheson calls Mulder Fox. I didn't catch that. Oh, wow. And Mulder doesn't freak out about it? Nope. Huh. And he also takes pattern mixing to a whole new level. Looks good. His shirt, tie, tie chain, suspenders, all different patterns. Yeah, but he, he makes it work. Yeah, it was distracting though. I don't know what he was talking about. <laughs> just kidding. I just told you what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and apparently Mulder has known this guy for a while. Okay, so Matheson is sending Mulder to Arecibo, Puerto Rico to intercept a transmission. Just, just to check out what's going on. Because he has a he has a printout of the transmission, so right. he knows that that place is receiving transmission. Go check it out. Go see what's before the blue berets get there. Right. I don't know if you could hear my eyeballs rolling when I, I said I right. Could. Okay, just checking. I'm sure the microphone got it. I I think so. So then we go to the FBI headquarters. Skinner and the Smoky Man listen to a recording of Skinner and Scully. Mulder has gone missing, and no one knows where he's at. They do a good pan across of like the tape recorder to Skinner to. The pack of cigarettes. It was a nice uh, telegraph of who's going to be in that room with It was, yeah. I thought it was a good shot. The smoking man says, are you sure she doesn't know where he's at? And Skinner's like... No, he says, are you sure she doesn't know where he's at? (laughs) (laughs) I just expect this dude to have like a much deeper voice than he does. (laughs) He's smoking in every scene. He should sound like Phil and Salmo. (laughs) No, but it's, it's true. Skinner says he's very sure that Scully doesn't know or else she wouldn't be so... Worried. Worried. (laughs) Which I thought was good deduction. Yeah, it was. Now we transport to Arecibo, Puerto Rico. Mulder is riding in the back of a truck carrying empty wooden crates to Arecibo. I've been there. You can take a cab or rent a car, apparently. This place is not open to tourists at this time. One would think, because it's been closed down by Richard Bird. Yes. Uh, Mulder climbs a fence after walking around. He finds that it's closed, and then he walks around, kind of like the uh, Predator episode last season. (laughs) And he climbs a fence. He uses wire cutters to break in. He takes audio notes into his little recorder thing. Yeah. Apparently, uh, I don't know what any technology was Tape recorders are? (laughs) Yeah. He breaks in, and my immediate thought was, Man, I need to get some good bolt cutters. I had a feeling. When I saw those, I was like, David wants these. <laughs> no, I still I want some insulated bolt cutters. Oh, that's true. So yeah. I can cut through rich people's electric fences. <laughs> All of the things that you say on mic after how terrified you were of me talking about hot wiring cars. It's for serious. Look, that is insulated bolt cutters to cut through rich people's fences is a lesson I learned when I was eight. Oh, no. <laughs> And it's stuck with me since. Wow. The power is off, but the machines are on? That's my question. Yeah, Mulder, into his tape recorder, says, like, there's no evidence that anybody's been here. Everything's turned on. Everything's on. Whatever. So a little bit about Arecibo Observatory. 
the observatory, also known as the National Astronomy and Ionosphere Center, and formerly known as the Arecibo Ionosphere Observatory, is an observatory in Barrio Esperanza, Arecibo, Puerto Rico, owned by the U.S. National Science Foundation. It opened in 1963, and here is the interesting thing. I went there 10 years ago, maybe. In the early morning of August 10th, 2020, at around 2.45 a.m., an 8-centimeter-thick steel cable, one of 18 suspending the 900-ton instrument platform high above the dish, had pulled out of its socket at one end and fallen, slicing into the dish. I think I remember hearing about that. A second support cable uh-huh. snapped three months later on November 6th, and the National Science Foundation, which owns the observatory, said attempting repairs was too dangerous. Arecibo would be dismantled. On December 1st, fate took control as more cables snapped and the platform, as heavy as 200 grand pianos, came crashing down into the dish. (laughs) What What a great way to measure weight. I loved it. I thought that was great. How many grand pianos is that? It's a lot. I mean, think about all of... That was from (laughs) sciencemag.org. The lost dismayed scientists worldwide, although 57 years old, Arecibo was... Still a scientific trailblazer. Can you just imagine all of that? And steel beams, steel cables snapping? Yeah, that's... Three in one year? Three in three months? That's not three months. Four months? Apparently, that's how long they last. Wild. So, it's closed right now. We don't know if it'll be... If it'll actually be dismantled or reopened. What I was looking at in that article and in a couple of other places... They may try to repair it. It seems like a giant. It seems like a giant question mark. Yeah. So that's where Mulder's at before the cable snapped. Back at Mulder's apartment, Scully breaks into Mulder's apartment because she deserves some B and E. Also, yeah, she probably has a key. She guesses a couple of passwords, and they are all the worst. (laughs) She checks his answering machine, and there's a lady on it. So Mulder's trying to date again after the Jersey Devil incident, and he's a bit of a pest. Sounds like it. Yeah, I don't like that. Did you have any guesses to what the password was going to end up being? I mean, it wasn't surprising what it ended up being. No, it wasn't surprising, but like she tries a couple times and they're wrong. Did When when she was doing that, did you have any guesses? I don't think so. I don't uh, think I was paying that much attention. I was just hoping it wasn't like Dana. That would be real bad. Uh-huh. I, I was just, that's all I was doing. I, it better not be Dana or Scully or anything like that. It's going to be one night stands for life. <laughs> P Hunter. <laughs> P Hunter 6-9. Yes. Ugh. As she's spraying the Scantron, a couple of suits come in because everybody just walks into Mulder's apartment. Oh, she prints it out and I said, good thing it's an inkjet and not a dot matrix because it was quiet. It's yeah. Like, if they're watching her and it's just suddenly... <laughs> Your cover's blown. They say they've been surveilling Mulder's apartment because she asks if they were following her. One doofus asks about the printout, and the other doofus says it looks like a self-test a computer does. I thought he was bluffing on that and knew he knew what it was, but nope. Yep. (laughs) Fortunately for Scully, she slyly uses Mulder's fish as an excuse to get the paper printout. I couldn't tell if she passed her sleight of hand check or they failed their perception check. I think they failed their perception check. She wasn't that... She was like down there for like two seconds tucking the thing up in her sleeve. It was... Yeah. The sleight of hand wasn't that great. They 
were just terrible. They're terrible at their jobs. That's why they're on surveillance, I guess. <laughs> they have terrible perception. <laughs> That's why they're on surveillance. Think about it. So in Tombs, not to bring up Tombs again, because I'm apparently <laughs> going to bring up Tombs every single episode. When they were doing, in Squeeze, when they were watching that one building, those guys just left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when Mulder was watching the house in Tombs, he didn't see Tombs sneaking around yeah. or hiding in his vehicle or any of it. I guess he was under the vehicle, but whatever. Yeah, the, nobody's good at surveillance. Nope. So that's why they're in surveillance because they're terrible at their jobs. So she gets what she came for and we go back to see Mulder. He's at the National Astronomy and Ionosphere Center in Arecibo, Puerto Rico still. Every time they're in there, it's just sweaty. It is. It's too sweaty because of all of that computer equipment in there and the power being on, it should be well air conditioned. It should. It should be cold because maybe they did that on purpose because when he walks in, he says the power's out, but all of the machines are on, which did they run on? Not electricity. Right. What do they run on? (laughs) They run on, uh, I was going to say, I was going to say hydraulics. That's not what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Hydroelectric. It's still electricity. It is. I don't, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mulder is still looking at the equipment, and he decides to take a water break and discovers a man hiding in the bathroom. My man, Jorge. Jorge is terrified. So scared. He speaks Spanish, and Mulder only speaks English, so there's a bit of a disconnect. Did you pick up anything he said? Yes, he said something about lights in the trees or the sky, animals and men. Uh, My Spanish is as bad as Mulder's. I picked up, uh, he says, brujo. And he talks about animals but men, like they're animals but they're men. And he says something about how it's red when they arrive. Yes, the different. I picked out the different colors. Yeah. And then Jorge grabs a Sharpie, which Mulder just has in his pocket. <laughs> which is really where I strive to be. I strive to be someone who's just Sharpie ready at all times. Oh, that's a good goal. Yeah. But... I like that for you. Thanks. Thanks. It would be easier if any of my clothes had pockets. <laughs> Damn the patriarchy. <laughs> uh, so Jorge grabs a Sharpie and draws an alien head on the wall and Mulder stares sweatily. <laughs> Good adverb. Ad- adverb? <laughs> yes, adverb. Yes, you did it. At the U.S. Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C., Scully takes the fish food scantron to Dr. Troisky, who recognizes it as something his old partner discovered. He calls it the wow signal. No, he says it's better than the wow signal. Oh, I thought he's... Well, okay. And he, yeah. Because good old Jerry Amen, Amen, is how it's is how it's spelled. Yeah, that makes sense. Was so excited about the transmission, he kept writing wow in the margins. It's charming. I thought it was a charming story. But the wow signal, this all popped up in August of 1977, and I hate to tell everybody, but the wow signal was just me being born. Well, there, there it is. Yeah. Mystery solved. The end. Uh, so that's it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> he eventually points her to... Uh, he actually doesn't point her to Arecibo, Puerto Rico. He kind of does. He says... He gives her the names of dishes that could intercept this signal. But he gives her a couple of them. Like yeah. five. And so she has to go and do some more research. But Skinner was right because Scully would find Mulder. Yep. No, it was Cigarette Smoking Man who said that. Oh, is, is that who said it? Yeah. One of the dudes. Yeah. One of the bald dudes said... He said, she'll find him. At FBI headquarters, Scully does find out where Mulder went. She's reviewing passenger records and discovers George Hale. Remember George Hale? That's a good clue. It was. It was a good clue. 
I liked it. And she says, Mulder. Mulder. <laughs> so now she knows where he's going. In Arecibo, Jorge touches stuff. <laughs> he's, just, he's, he's just pushing buttons. It's just red buttons. What are you doing, Jorge? Come on. Well, Mulder talks into his audio notes <laughs> because I still couldn't remember tape player. Wow. <laughs> Uh, the music turns on and Jorge runs into the storms outside. Well, one of the things he says is the source of the signal is close. It's only miles away. That's incredibly close if we're talking about, like, galactic stuff. Right. Because the troposphere is only five to nine miles high. Oh. The stratosphere goes up to 31 miles high. The mesosphere goes up to 53 miles high. The thermosphere... Is 372 miles high, so if he's talking about miles, he's probably not talking more than 400 miles. The ionosphere, which is what the place is recording or looking at, is about 600 miles of high. And the exosphere goes up to 6,200 miles high. Hmm. Yeah, so a couple of miles means it's already in this. It's in it's, the atmosphere. Yeah. You could probably, you could most likely see it with your eyeballs. Yeah. I mean, until the storms. But. He runs out into the storms. Mulder goes after him and apparently looks for about half an hour. We find out later. It doesn't take very long at all. The timing in this scene is hard to determine because it looks like he finds him immediately. Yeah. Later, he says about less than half an hour later. He finds Jorge uh, scared to death by a tree. Ah, oh, they Not, throw... The tree didn't scare him. <laughs> <laughs> he's scared to death and he's also positioned near a tree. <laughs> The tree, I'm not trying to implicate the tree here. Oh, man, just throwing out accusations. (laughs) At Miami International Airport, Scully obviously has a layover because anybody who's ever flown through Miami has like a four-hour layover. I've never flown through Miami. You've never been to Puerto Rico. (laughs) No, I haven't. Oh, it's terrible. Scully waits at the airport, and she's using a compact to check out a bunch of contenders for the Hemingway contest in Key West. Oh. She doesn't like any of them, no. really. She, just, she's, she wouldn't vote for them. So she stops doing that and decides to look around at other people. She passes a colorfully dressed couple. Uh, she gets up, she walks one direction, gets about 15 feet, turns around and comes right back, and they're just standing there. Yep. They're like, oh, duh, uh, um, no. Yep. <laughs> Terrible spies. They are. So they turn, they, unfortunately, they turn out to be spies rather than vacationers because that woman, one woman was dressed to go on vacation. Like, good spy outfit, bad spy technique. Yeah, he had the hat and sunglasses. He looked like a spy. And you could see his earpiece. Yeah, he was so obvious. He was such a spy. So she sees these two and knows that they're spies. She goes to the payphones. And did you notice that payphones only cost 20 cents? (laughs) (laughs) Written right there in my notes. Yep, we both wrote it in our notes. She calls Mulder and leaves a code that one of the doofuses writes down. That doofus calls the airport couple while Scully watches them. As they gather their things, they both take their eyes off of Scully, who escapes. Like a magician. She also calls the what time is it right now hotline. Uh, she was just killing time, making right. it look like she was doing something. But that was good spycraft there. Have you ever called that hotline? Oh yeah, I used to call it all the time when I was a kid. Two two two, two 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 two. Just to know what time it was? Yeah. And what the temperature was outside. Are you fucking with me? No. <laughs> no. I can't tell. No, I am not fucking with you. And the phone number was 222-2222. 
And you used to call it all the time? Yeah. You wanted to know what the weather was going to be like? Typically it was for weather, but sometimes if you got to, you know, set the clock on the VCR. Oh my god. <laughs> Your top-loading VCR. <laughs> it's a real thing, sorry. Alright, well, Scully escapes. <laughs> and I said, oh well, I hope they enjoy their time in St. Croix, because they should know she's not on that flight once they get on the flight. I hope they don't call it in, though. <laughs> I hope they just go and spend some time in St. Croix. <laughs> we looked for her everywhere, we couldn't see her. <laughs> Don't worry, we know where she's going. She's going to St. Croix. Has anybody considered why she'd be going to St. Croix? Because that's where Mulder went for some reason. Right, hanging out. Maybe there's aliens in St. Croix. Probably. Why not? Because uh, it's not a mostly white place. So aliens don't go there? So people don't imagine dumb shit like that? Oh, yes. <laughs> they have other things going on in their lives? Right, oh my gosh. I'm trying to make up things to make themselves feel interesting. Well, speaking of white people who try to make their lives seem more interesting than they are, we're back to Mulder. <laughs> oh. Um, he takes audio over Jorge's body. When he was found by the tree, he was held in a pose that suggested he wasn't malleable. <laughs> but he's laid out on a table. Mulder notes that he isn't a pathologist. Neither he nor Jorge are pathologists. Just in case you... Well, how do you know wonder. Jorge isn't? I actually don't. Oh. I didn't say. See? You're jumping to conclusions. I am. I guess because I don't know why a pathologist would be at the observatory. I mean, that's a reasonable thing to say, but you're just assuming things about Jorge. You're accusing trees of foul play. Ugh, this is not a great episode for you. I'm being a white person, <laughs> trying to be sound more interesting than I am. Here we go. Mulder wants to record initial observations anyway, which makes sense. Yeah. He notates that there are no indications of a lightning strike. No singeing or burns, no puncture wounds from needles or probes, which I'm curious how he knows because Jorge is fully dressed. How would you know? <laughs> That's where he lost me because needle indentations, you have to be looking yeah, for Yeah, you got to get up in there. So, when found approximately 30 minutes after he ran outside, rigor mortis had already set in. So I have a little bit about rigor mortis because I thought, does it set in that quickly? Not quite. But not wild, not as wildly off as I thought it was going to be. We'll get into that in a minute. Jorge's skin is still affected by goosebumps, and the body shows signs of intense cadaveric spasm, which sounds horrific. I hope my cadaver does that. Ugh. Just keeps moving for hours. Yikes. Jorge's facial expression appears to be frightened to death. She says, my God, Scully. He looks like he was scared to death. Yep. So he's recording this all for Scully. I was hoping he was recording it all for Diane. Me too. Or Judy. Judy. Judy's from Monster House last night. Okay. <laughs> Judy could take care of herself. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Science Corner with Kristen. About the rigor mortis real quick. It's I have a short little bit from sciencedirect.com. Fully developed rigor mortis is an easily identifiable and reliable indicator that death has occurred. <laughs> yeah. I should have read that sentence before. <laughs> Before it being just the most obvious sentence ever. <laughs> the time of onset is variable, but it is usually considered to appear between one and six hours, with the average time being between two and four hours after death. Obviously, depending on temperature, circumstance, a bunch of different things, but between two and four hours is, is average. Obviously, depending on circumstances, rigor mortis may last for a few hours to several days. Mm. Obviously, with Jorge's body... Rigor set in at about 20 minutes after death and then went away while Mulder carried him. Maybe like 
grabbed his arms and were like, <laughs> straightened him out. Well, we know the rigor's not still happening in his body shortly because his body just gets ragdolled on the floor. <laughs> but now we all know a little bit more about rigor. Mulder looks at the printouts. It looks like the Scantron that Scully had. These are printouts that happened when everything went berserk and Jorge ran outside. So the printouts happened. And now Mulder's looking at him. He seems to be losing touch with reality. Mulder doesn't trust no one very well. <sighs> trust no one wears you down. Yeah, no kidding. You have to trust somebody. Mulder is having an existential crisis into his recorder. What better place to have it? You know, probably not into a recorder. Don't record it. Just <laughs> do it and move along. Then Jorge's body starts shaking, but it's actually not the body. It's the table, and then the lights, and then there's lights through the window, and then the printer starts happening again, and the audio recorder thing clicks on, and it feeds the sounds back to him, distorted. And he plays it, or it plays, and it says, trust no one, and then the other audio... Yes. Yep, that's what happens. As the lights continue to flash outside, Mulder slams the door shut, latching the lock and pushing furniture against the door. It actually wasn't furniture. It was a server tower. Uh, Jorge's body falls to the floor where it's discarded. Yeah. They did him dirty. Just chucked him on the ground. Just on the ground. And then that's just where they leave him. Just throwing away perfectly good Jorge's. Right. Shame. It is a shame. Lights flare outside the door. The latch opens. Aliens are telekinetic. I guess so. We finally get real telekinesis. Finally. Not just that one dude. The man. The man. That I talked about earlier. No, that wasn't telekinesis. That was telepathy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The other tell word. Mulder goes for his gun, opening fire into a bright light. Somebody took his firing pen out of his gun. <laughs> Except no bullets are expelled. He checks the clip, and when he looks up to see what's there, it's skinny legs. Skinny legs! They are like little frog legs, fully extended. Luke Fox, <laughs> my skinny legs. That's what happened. I invented skinny jeans. <laughs> it's true. If you don't hear it, if you didn't hear it the first time through, just go back and watch that scene and turn it up. Or uh, turn your captions on. That's it. <laughs> They're in the captions. Luke I Fox. promise. Luke Fox. Luke Fox. <laughs> Look at my skinny legs. Look at me. <laughs> And then, you know, something happens. We don't know what happens. Some, something. There's a transition that I didn't write down. He finally sees the alien again. Yes, it's the same alien from the flashback that stole his sister. Yeah. But in the flashback that stole his sister, the aliens aren't actually touching her. No, they're just beaming her with light. They're just showing him their skinny legs. Yeah. And their thigh gap. Look at that thigh gap. <laughs> Look, Fox, <laughs> in 20 years, I'm going to invent skinny jeans. <laughs> no, no. Look, Fox, look at my skinny legs. <laughs> I wish they made jeans that fit my skinny legs. <laughs> I like jeans. I need jeans for my skinny legs. <laughs> Scully shows up. She shines a light in Mulder's face. She was sure he was dead. Jet, What? <laughs> You were a doctor. How do you not know when people are dead, Scully? Did she do the same thing in ice? Wouldn't she? <laughs> yeah. You are. A, this is why you're teaching autopsies. Because they're like, look, this one's dead. <laughs> well. You can cut this one open. She didn't seem certain. Because she still thought that all of his thoughts and memories and fears were locked away in his little mushy brain. I'm glad 
uh, Mulder was passed out when she got there, though, because he was just uh, he was trying to open fire on everything. That's true. That is very true. And we saw that he had a loaded gun. And then she'd be lay- laying there like, oh, I was sure I was dead. <laughs> Am I dead? I can't tell. In case you didn't figure it out yet, Mulder w- wasn't dead. No. Just knocked out. But when he wakes up, apparently his personal crisis is over. He believes again. Yeah, well, that's because he saw the skinny legs. He still has no proof. Yeah, but he saw it. That's true. I guess he didn't... He still... This is the first alien that we've seen him see. No, we keep forgetting about the crop circle aliens. Yeah, those guys. You know what? This is the first alien that we've seen him see. Retconning. Yeah. If they can retcon the abduction, we can retcon that entire episode. All right, so just in time... Oh, so he believes again, just in time for the military to sneak up on them loudly. The Blue Berets. That's right. Who are wearing black berets. Were they? They were. No, it's just... I can't. I can't with So the, the men berets. in black wear blue suits, and the Blue Berets wear black berets. You know how hard it is to find a Blue Beret in their, 1994? Their wardrobe person must be colorblind. Oh, maybe. That's all I got. All right, that's fine. I don't have a segment about colorblindness and which colors are actually impacted. So. Yeah, probably not blue and black. <laughs> I guess it probably depends on the degree of colorblindness or the style of colorblindness. I bet there's different styles. I don't sure. Know what you would call it yeah. variations. Yeah, styles. I like styles. All right, so the blue berets are showing up. Mulder is trying to touch everything before he leaves. <laughs> he really is, because he's not grabbing anything. No. He just wants to make sure he touches Get my fingerprints on everything. (laughs) Scully reminds him that evidence is worthless if you're dead. It's true. Yeah. He tries to grab Jorge. It's like, we gotta get Jorge out of here. (laughs) And she's like, um, no. You obviously have already bludgeoned to this body to death. (laughs) As Mulder and Scully get outside of the observatory and run toward the car that Scully must have driven. See? You can drive cars to Arecibo. You don't just have to hitchhike on the back of trucks. Well, he didn't want to put his name on anything. I see. That was a really dusty SUV she was in, though. Yeah. I think she stole it. Oh, maybe. Or maybe it was Jorge's. It would have been there before. Maybe it was on the other side. Well, there was a vehicle and they got away. (laughs) Yep. So they get away. As they're driving away, the military get out of their truck and... I'm calling the Blue Berets their military, right? Yeah, they're the UFO retrieval team. So they're like super special military. Okay. Oh my god. I bet they would just be the worst to talk to. Oh. Hey. No, they can't tell you that they're Blue Berets. Guess what I do for a living. Then they'll get killed by the men in blue. You want to know how many people have told me things that they've done that they weren't supposed to tell me that they've done? Do I? You don't know how many people. Several. Okay. <laughs> Several military people have done things that they shouldn't have told me that they've done, and then they didn't tell me. Oh. We should write all that down. Leak it. We could be leakers. We could. End up in prison. <laughs> None of it's going to impact anybody doing anything, but I definitely know some people who did some shady shit. Ah, nice. And laughed about it. It's great. Anyway, the Blue Berets, with their Black Berets, shoot at... Mulder and Scully, and then call down to somebody at the bottom of the mountain. They're coming your way! But then nothing ever happens. Yeah, they just give up. Like, they're driving straight on the road, and they're like, ah, they're like 200 feet ahead of us. Ugh, we'd have to all pile back into the back (laughs) of this truck. This is not worth it. No thanks. Next, we are in Assistant Director Walter Skinner's office at FBI headquarters. Skinner reprimands Mulder while Smoking Man smokes. 
It's true. That's what he's doing. He says, you left your off-site setup. Another brick agent had to cover your ass. What is a brick agent? I didn't look it up. Every time he said it, I just had question marks pop out of my face. I'm going to guess that since it's another brick agent, it's an agent whose job could be done just as well by a brick. Okay. You know what? Based on where this whole scene goes, (laughs) I'll take it. The entire surveillance, all the months of work on the case, gone. Just like you. Gone. Why? They still have all the surveillance. Did he take all of the surveillance with him? What does that mean, Skinner? This has four bagger all over it. Mulder. Oh, I've counted Mulder as one of the four. (laughs) Mulder, censure, transfer, suspension, and probation. (laughs) It's fun to learn new jargon, isn't it? It's great. Some posturing happens. Smoking Man tries to fire Mulder, but twist! Skinner throws Smoking Man out. But before Smoking Man leaves, he stands there, makes eyes at Skinner, and lights a cigarette like, we'll come back to this. I was going to ask you. Skinner tells him, get out of here. And Smoking Man doesn't get that he's talking to him at first. Then he repeats it. You know, I said, get out of here. He saunters slowly over to the cigarettes. Slowly grabs one and slowly lights it. So what thoughts do you think he was having while he was doing all of that? I think he was thinking, what game are you playing, Skinner? What are you playing at here? What's your end game? I think he was thinking, well, I'm gonna go. Because he was really angry. I'm going to try to look cool when I do it. (laughs) Yours is probably right. I'm giving everybody too much credit here. I'm going to go real slow and make it look like I was thinking about not going. Yeah. You know what should have happened if that, all of this is probably the case? When he went to light his cigarette, his lighter should not have lit. (laughs) He just stands there. Trying to flick it a bunch of times. Yeah. Shakes it and then flicks it some more. <laughs> and about the 12th time it finally lights. That's what should have happened. Nice. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things Mulder mentions is illegal wiretapping of his phone. Yes. Remember when wiretaps were illegal? That was nice. That was nice times. Yeah. I mean, I should say, you remember when illegal wiretaps were illegal. <laughs> right. <sighs> Patriot Act. Ugh. Go us. Then Skinner sends Mulder back to cover his unnecessary assignment. Ladies and gentlemen, your tax dollars hard at work. Hell yeah. Because Mulder says, I had enough to arrest them after three days. Yep. Now, here's a question. Pickles. Good answer. Thanks. Skinner says his... All of these things, all these disciplinary things, but then doesn't do any of them. He just sends Mulder right back to work. Is he secretly on their side? Well, seeing as how I know he's in about 17 more seasons, (laughs) yes. Well, he could be the main adversary for 17 seasons. I don't think he is. Shouldn't aliens be the main adversary? (sighs) Do they have... All they want is skinny jeans. All all they want is skinny jeans. So no, they should not be the adversary. We should just give them skinny jeans. I agree. For little frog legs. (laughs) Look at my skinny jeans, Fox. People say they're out of style now. Are they? I don't think... Hell, I don't know. They're never in style for me. I'm 44 years old. I have skinny jeans still. I never wear jeans. It's too hot and humid here. It's so hot. All right, somebody tell me if I shouldn't be wearing skinny jeans anymore. All right, I will. Thanks. No problem. (laughs) Oh, you said no. So I should get rid of them? Sure. 
I don't want to. I've never seen you in them, so I don't know. Yes, you have. I just haven't worn them since the pandemic, because why? I don't know. Why, David? I don't know. Why would I wear jeans inside my house? I don't know. <laughs> I don't go anywhere else. <laughs> so we're back at Longstreet Motel, Washington, D.C. Wiretap number 5A21147. You know, all that surveillance that's been destroyed or whatever. It's, it's the same one as it's before? the same exact one. Mulder and Scully stare at the audio machine that I can't recall the name of. Tape player? Yeah, it's just an old school tape player. Old timey tape player, question mark? Yeah. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Ye oldie tape player. Yep, the tape Mulder stole from Arecibo is blank. Mulder still has nothing. Now, when they're escaping from the Blue Berets, they really hone in on Scully looks down at the floorboard at the tape. They really make sure that you see her looking at it. And then it's blank. So I was thinking, did Scully swap it out? Or electromagnet thing. It She said sometimes, though. Yeah, she gave an excuse for why it's blank. Hmm. Maybe they're dumb dummies and put it through the x-ray machine at the airport. <laughs> they just sent it through. <laughs> Maybe she sent it through on purpose. Yeah. And so her excuse was really what happened because she made sure that it happened. Well, Ooh. Hmm. Well, Ooh. Well, he gets up and he moves some cables around and then he plays it again and it has stuff on it. He plays the other one. Oh, the one that he, after she leaves, it yeah. has that stuff on it? Yeah. Oh, what does it have on it then? Is it's got it... the... Oh, does it say stuff? Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was the music of the show or if it was what's on the tape. Oh, I thought it, it was... The way it was shot is so frustrating because I couldn't tell if it was the tape and he was pretending that it was blank. Ah, Or if know. it was the music in the show. It was... Ugh, it, it was very poorly done. Yes, because... They listen to the blank tape, obviously don't hear anything, and yeah. then he says, I may not have the X-Files, but I still have my work, I still have you, and I still have myself, which is so much more than he had before. And now he turns back to the surveillance, and Scully leaves him to find out where to get the best lap dances, because that's the tape that he turns on next. He turns all the volume down on it, though, and then goes back to the other one. Right. So there's that, so she leaves while the two guys are talking. About what's Tuesday. The, what's the difference between a lap dance and a table dance? Yes. And she's like, I'm out of here because I know what this leads to with you, Mulder. Ooh. <laughs> oh, oh. I don't like the implications of that. And then when she leaves, that's when he turns it back to the other one. But I didn't hear anything with that one. I thought he was just going to sit there. Remember in season one when he watched that one video a hundred times, yes. not knowing what he was looking for? I do. That's what I was thinking he was doing here it, he could have been doing that and the what i was hearing was just the music of the episode or it had something on it i couldn't really tell because well, it wasn't done well enough for you to tell nope so if he's hiding from scully that there's stuff on that tape what's that about i don't think so because he says i still have you but he moved the audio cables around so that means they were wrong the first time yeah i don't know I wish you had mentioned this when we were still watching it so we could have rewatched that. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, well, all right. I wish you'd have mentioned the Girl Scout. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we've both disappointed each other. <sighs> I'm sorry for us. <laughs> all right, who are you shipping? I am shipping Mulder's date that was stood up mm -hmm. and the smoking man. Why? Because they both hate Mulder. Oh! They can team up. 
and take him down. <laughs> or at least bitch about him over lunch. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Thank you. That's good. I want good things for Jorge. So I'm going to ship Jorge and getting out of this situation alive. <laughs> I want him in nice. Yeah. How are you surviving? I am going to join the Blue Berets. Yeah. It seems like they've got the gig. They really, yeah, they show up late. Yep. They clean up after stuff after it's happened. I like it. I like it. I like that. I feel like I could be Scully here because nothing really seems to happen to her either. <laughs> she seems fine. She ran around and was there. I feel like the only person you wouldn't want to be in this episode is Jorge. Probably not Mulder either. He did get unconscious. He did. Are you going to keep track of how many times he gets oh. knocked out this season? Well, it wasn't necessarily knocked out. He could have passed out or it could have been sleep. Hey, Mulder, <laughs> look at my legs. Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> my legs are making you sleepy. <laughs> you are looking at my legs. <laughs> you are, your eyes are getting heavy. I love this alien and I want it to come back all the time. <laughs> This alien is my new favorite character. Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm enjoying it myself. This alien is the tombs of season two. <laughs> Except I've already talked about tombs in season two. Ah, tombs is the tombs of season everything. <sighs> okay. One day he'll come back. Okay. <laughs> all right. I think we have said all there is to say. Oh, you don't have a, an ending segment. That was it. Yeah, that was it. Oh, you know what? New segment. What is something that you have enjoyed this last week? I enjoyed going to the pumpkin patch today and taking pictures with our little infant toddler. <laughs> our infant toddler. All right, yes. <laughs> Do you want to explain our infant toddler? Go check our Twitter. Oh, there you go. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was delightful. Let's see. What is something that I... Oh, you know what? I'm enjoying. I wrote my... and published my first book review that was requested of me. I've written a couple of book reviews on my other website, Circle Time with Kristen, and I was asked to review a book and I published my very first one. And right after publishing that, I got a request to review a second book. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Good job. That's my pretty happy about it. I'm also very much looking forward to the Halloween regatta this weekend. Halloween regatta next week. Oh yeah, I guess it will be this weekend when this is <laughs> released. Yep. Yeah, that, that should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to D&D soon. Oh yeah, I gotta go do that. All right, well, let us know what is making you guys happy. And if you have any other favorite alien voices, <laughs> I want to hear them. Yep. Okay, bye. The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on Twitter at Cast Files. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You can email us at thecastfiles. That's the with two E's at gmail.com. If you could please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars, and tell us that we are doing phenomenal things. Artistic, wonderful things. We are raising the bar on podcasting. We would love you forever for that. We have a tea Public store. You can go buy t-shirts and stuff there. Music by Hal Six. Logo by at Uka Art. That's O-O-K-A-A-R-T. 